RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority, and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. everybody, Matt Lachlan, along with Amanda Stein, welcome to Speak of the Devils, our weekly podcast presented by our good friends at RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. And Amanda, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm officially out of uh, quarantine as I, w- I came home to Canada. So I've been living the life, uh, visiting family, visiting friends, just seeing everybody. And uh, it's been great to sort of catch up with everyone back home while keeping an eye on everything else that's going on in the hockey world. There's a lot of hockey things going on up here right now in Montreal. <laughs> just a few. And uh, the citizens <laughs> of La Belle Provence are very much focused on the Canadians as we record this. I will tell you this, though, is that so everyone has their car flags out. But for me, I wear my devil's face mask because it's just (laughs) like the most comfortable one that I have. And like I honestly like if you had told Amanda as a little kid that she'd be proudly walking around wearing the, you know, uh, the logo of a different NHL franchise, (laughs) she would never believe you. But like I'm like strutting around with my devil's mask on, like really enjoying (laughs) being uh, on a different side in my own uh, city and province. (laughs) That is awesome. And of course, there's excitement from a devil's perspective, not so much from the playoffs, what's taking place in the uh, Stanley Cup semifinals, but what lies ahead. Uh, We draw nearer daily to the first round of the NHL draft on July 23rd with rounds two through seven the following day, Saturday, July 24th. And the devils have two picks in the first round. And so, you know, you and I could talk about what we know and what we read and make our opinion known, but you know what? It's good that we go to the experts, right? And that's what we- It really is. Because I think like a lot of our opinions are based on what we read of what the experts are saying. And right, because that's, honestly, that's how I roll, right? Because I'm out there watching them. We are busy with the NHL and then to a lesser degree, the AHL following our affiliate there. I don't watch junior hockey on a regular basis. Might catch something here and there. So all we would be doing is telling (laughs) people what we've been told or what we've read (laughs) or so on and so forth. But we have an expert today, a guy who really has been a scout throughout his professional career uh, and has scouting in his blood and a good friend of ours, Craig Button. Craig, obviously, of TSN up here in Canada, very, very well-known 
I know we're going to go into all his roots on how he is, where he is, who he is because of where he comes from. Um, just an outstanding human being, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to, you know, not only what's coming up in the NHL, but what's already there, having followed it for so long. And honestly, Matt, we meet, a, you know, there are so many great people in our sport. We're so lucky to have a sport like that. But Craig is really one of the best. He really, really is. Um, and I'm so excited to have him here with us today. Craig Button, thanks very much for giving us your time at a busy period in your life as we get closer to the draft. We're recording this on June 17th, but the draft is on the near horizon. How busy are you? <laughs> well, I mean, you're you're busy. It's kind of weird for me, Matt and Amanda, because usually at this point in the time, everything is uh, draft focused. You, you know, it, it it you're usually it's a week out. You're starting to uh, understand what teams are talking about with respect to potential moves and trades and players are looking at. But we're only in the third round of the NHL playoffs. So, you know, it's kind of uh, been a, a scenario where you're trying to balance those things out. And I, I, I just don't feel that uh, on, a, on a public level that the draft has really gotten its due place with respect to, you know, the interest going forward. Now, I know in certain markets it may be a little bit different. But for me, that's where I find myself right now. Yeah, because you got your feet in in two worlds, uh, you know, trying to crown a champion and trying to figure out whether or not Owen Power is definitely <laughs> your first overall pick. And, and and I'll ask you that in a second. But I do want to talk about your background. Most people, I think, know it. Uh, your dad was instrumental in what we now know as uh, the, the Central Scouting Bureau forming that uh, lifetime in hockey for your dad and for your entire family, you and your brother, et cetera. Scouting is in your blood. How has it changed? Like, take us back to maybe when you first joined the Minnesota North Stars and then on to Dallas. And now here we are in 2021. And it's a whole new world, at least in terms of public consumption. What's it like from a scouting perspective? Well, you, you know, when I went to the Minnesota North Stars in 1988, I think Amanda was just finishing second grade at that point. No, I was only two. <laughs> Not even. I had two, though. I had to yeah, have exactly. <laughs> so, you know, coming out of university, I thought I was going to end up in, a, in, a, in an international banking career. And then Jack Ferreira, the, the, the then general manager who had worked with my dad and had uh, asked me a few times to do some part-time work when he was with the Rangers, you know, ended up hiring me. But the long story short of it is, is that, you know, at that point in time, I had uh, in university had taken courses in computer programming and Mark O'Hara, I'll never forget him. We worked together in Minnesota. He and I wrote the first scouting computer program. He, he was the brains behind it. I might have been a little bit of the scouting. I had a, I, I had what I would call rudimentary <laughs> computer computer programming skills. But it was something that I, it was part of the program I was in at, at university. So we had to do that. And it's kind of funny that here we were. So we and I remember at the time that it was one of those things. Wow. You know, what are computers going to do for you? How are they going to help you assess players? It's, it's kind of the same argument that's happened with analytics and video scouting, right? It's the same. It's just, it's just a different topic now, but you know, uh, literally the, the scouts used to phone in the reports 
on the players. And then people in the office would, would type it up on a three by five index card and put it in a thing under that. that that's how the scouting reports were done. And I, I remember going like, this is, this is archaic. Like, like surely there's gotta be a, a better way. And there was. And so Mark and I, you know, what we really did really what it became was, was a, was a way to, take all the scouting reports and to aggregate them. And so everybody could share them and look at them. We could all look at them together. And, you know, we had number grades and written comments and everything, but I mean, so that's how different it was. My father was always progressive. My mother is progressive too. My father was, I think about him today and how much he would love, you know, zoom meetings and, you know, FaceTime. He like, he always was trying to find the next new technology to make the job easier. So I think I, it was ingrained in me to, to have it. So, you know, we have all these tools. I mean, player assessment is player assessment, but now you have so many more tools to be able to, to give you uh, more insights. And, and, those, and those tools are not just in video analysis or analytics, it's physiologists, strength and conditioning coaches, right? I mean, ultimately everybody's trying to uh, give themselves the best chance to select a player that will be productive for the respective franchise, mm -hmm. right? That's all, well, that's what the goal is, right? And I think the tools that are that are available to, to the teams and to the to the scouts and whatnot help them gain uh, more knowledge, more information, and with it, more confidence when they're going to select players. And I'm going to turn this over to the youngest member of this conversation, <laughs> as we established that just a moment ago, in a second. But I do want to then follow up. So are the there's always going to be someone who gets missed. Oh, yeah. It's an inexact science. There's always going to be someone who is picked in the sixth round, who develops into a star or is undrafted and becomes a staple on a powerful team. But because of all the changes in scouting, are the misses less frequent? Is it a more accurate draft than it might have been 25, 30 years ago? I'm not so sure about that. Uh, you know, I think I think because of the scrutiny, uh, you know, you, you talk, Matt, about, uh, you know, how much interest there is from, from the fan base and publicly now. There wasn't the same scrutiny that is. So I, I, I think that it's also created, uh, uh, you know, a, a little bit more of a less of a risk taking, you know. And if we look at players, so, so where does risk exist in, in, in a player draft? It's, it's taken an undersized player. It's taking a player that you think is going to be really, really good, but needs three years. You know, the scrutiny, oh, geez, that player's not playing in the NHL at 20. What's wrong, right? So being, being patient, that scrutiny, I think, has led to a little bit less risk-taking. You know, when I, when I go back to the 88 draft, and, 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 and it existed then, and I think it exists now, you know, well, who is the player that's perceived to be the guy? Oh, boy, they went off the board. I, I always say this on when I'm doing the draft. You, you know, the only board that matters is the team's board. Like, whose board did they go off of? My board? My board doesn't matter. It's the team's board that matters, right? But the 88 draft, Mike Medano went one, Trevor Linden went two. And I just go through this quickly. Curtis LeCision was the third pick. Darren Shannon was the fourth pick. Daniel Dory was the fifth pick. Scott Pearson was the sixth pick. Marty Jelena was the seventh pick. Jeremy Roenick went eighth, Thayer, Thayer Academy High School. Rod Brindamore went ninth from the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, Notre Dame Hounds. And Timo Solani went tenth from Finland. You know, 
So you look at it, right, and 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 you you look at those players. Why would you draft? Oh, we're not going to draft a high school player. We're going to take more of the sure thing, right? So I think that it it, it prevails now, Matt, in different ways. You know, in a, in a different type of thing. Back then in the '88, just using the '88 draft as an example. Well, we can't draft a European that high, can we? Oh, we can't draft a kid out of uh, junior A like Brenda Moore. Oh, a high school player from Thayer that high? Like, I, well, my dad drafted Bobby Carpenter in the 1981 draft. He was the first high school. He, he was drafted third overall, stepped right into the NHL out of high school. And when I talk about my dad, you know, not being afraid of risk, I mean, that, I mean, that eyebrows were raised. How, how can you do this? How can you do that? And I think that for the scouts and the teams now, you know, there still is uh, an element of less risk, not more. And I mm-hmm. think that that's where you see smaller players being drafted. European Nikita Kucherov dominated in his drafter, dominated. Okay. And he was late in the second round. It's baffling, but why was that? Oh, he's a Russian. Is he coming over? How big is he? And believe it or not, and, you know, a lot of us don't want to believe it, it still exists. Mm. It, it really does. And I'm glad that you mentioned the patience part because that immediately made me think of a player on the Devils roster this year in Ty Smith. And I know you're very high on <laughs> Ty. And, you know, the Devils fan base and the Devils management requiring patience so that he could play the way he did in his rookie season. So I think that that's also what you're talking about, right? Like that, you know, you might see a player not be at their full potential right away. You've got to wait for them to get there. Well, you do. And, and, and it's not just waiting, it's waiting for them to develop what I call a right. state of preparedness. And, you know, when you're considering that you're drafting these players based on potential, there's going to be a timeline for them to be able to achieve that potential. And some of the, I mean, Jack Hughes was the first overall pick, but you know, he he's 20 and you're just starting to see him starting to, you know, build that physical maturity and that's going to help him understand what the challenges are. doesn't mean he's any less talented just because he didn't win rookie of the year, didn't put up 80 points, but you know, there is a timeline for players. And we become impatient. And when I say we, I'm talking about collectively, we become impatient as fans, as teams, as evaluators, like, oh boy, why isn't he there? Or what's wrong with him? And, and, you know, and I think that that's something, Amanda, you have to be very, very careful with because just because you want a player to get there yesterday doesn't mean he was ready to be there yesterday. And so patience, I think, is an absolute necessary element uh, in, in not only uh, helping the player reach his potential, but not putting undue pressure on that player to try to be something that he might not be ready for quite yet. One of the things that intrigues me, especially having joined an NHL team and seeing a lot of the behind the scenes when it comes to the draft is, you know, yes, there is massive emphasis on what a player's potential is on the ice, but there is an incredible emphasis on who these people are because they are human beings off the ice, the type of person, the type of character. Did that always exist when it came to scouting? Like if you go back to your early days or was the focus really on the on ice part? Uh, you know, I, I, what I would say was it, it I, I think it's become uh, something that has a greater focus now. I mean, pe- people, will, and I, I don't want to say this in a negative way when I say people, but the, the assessments used to take place 
oh, did you see how hard he played in the third period? Like, you know, and yeah. somehow that that became a, an identifier for, you know, character and whatnot. Did you see how much he gripped your hand when he shook it to like, give me a break. Like, you know, like I, I, I always laughed at that kind of stuff. But like, I think, I think now, again, you know, for the players, there's lots of scrutiny on them from a young age, right? And, you know, they're, they're identified as good prospects heading into their draft year. They're drafted, right? So I think when you're what you're trying to do as teams, you're trying to help the player understand, you know, okay, here's how we're going to proceed with you. Here, here's the things we think are important. You're trying to understand how the player takes critical feedback. You're trying to assess, you know, all those parts of development as a player is trying to get there, you know, and be, be ready to play and, and, and live up to the expectations. You also want to know that the player understands the process and, you know, understands those timelines again. So I think it's imperative to understand you know, the player uh, it, with respect to taking in feedback and critical uh, as assessment, how hard he's going to work, where the influences are on him. You know, one of the interesting things, I'll just share a quick story. We drafted Brendan Morrow in Dallas uh, late in the uh, first round, but we used to go and spend time with about 25 players 25 players approximately every year in different rounds. We, we would identify, okay, we think these five players, and we went right in and spent a day, day and a half with them, with their families, with them, because we wanted to, um, to try to explain to them, here's what you can expect. You know, here's what we see you as a player. Do you see yourself? We wanted to try to get an understanding. It wasn't anything. Anyway, he was on a really good team uh, in Portland in the Western Hockey League, but we told him, we said, Brendan, if, if we draft you, you're going to come to our training camp. You're going to be there for six or seven days max. Just so you're not going to play in an exhibition game. And we're sending you back to junior because that's where you're going to go and play. You might have teammates that play exhibition games and you might be back in Portland and you might be mad at us and saying, why didn't I get a thing? Right. And so we, we draft him. He comes to training camp and at the end, that's, I don't know, six or seven days, we're, we're meeting with him to set up, you know, his return to junior and what we're going to do and everything. And he says, he goes, well, you guys told me, he says, I got my ticket. It had a return date on it. And I said, I'm going to show these guys, I'm going to show them that I'm ready. And I said, yeah, that's fine. That's what we want you to do. And we, we were confident that you wanted to do that, but it doesn't change anything. He goes, yeah. and, and what he appreciated was, that we we had laid it out ahead of time and we and we were true to it and trying to help him with that and everything. Yeah, he there was players on his team that got an exhibition game or two and it, it bugged them. I know it bugged Brendan, but you know <laughs> he did okay in the end, right? <laughs> he, he did, but I think it's a, it, it it's you know one of those things where you just try to help the player, you know, understand how, how we're gonna try to help you be the best. But you do that through uh trying to get to know the player better, get to know the family better, get to know who influences them better. So you can all work together <laughs> to help the player reach his potential. That, I mean, and that's a big key. Nobody wants to work with somebody that says, uh, you know what, I'm not going to, like, you, you know, he's not going to work or he doesn't assess himself properly or doesn't understand that, okay, this may be not what I like, but it's what's necessary. That's all part of trying to understand where the player is at mature wise and, and how he takes feedback and, and it's just one element of it you, you can you know how hard the players work because you've you've watched them you've talked to the coaches you've seen all those different areas the next part about understanding the players 
you're really beginning a, a long, uh, what, what you hope is a long, productive relationship. Take us, if you will, uh, and through a scout's eyes. So I'm going to put Craig Button uh, in Edmonton. You're watching an Oil Kings game against the Red Deer Rebels. And what are you looking for? You've got certain players you want to check out. They've checked the boxes as they've moved along in their career. Uh, and now you're focused. What are you looking at? Are you looking at everything from the time he steps out on the ice to warm up? Are you looking more away from the puck, what the player does with the puck? What is a scout assessing all the time? I, I, I would say all of those things, Matt. And, you know, and, and it's a different process as time goes on. Like as, as you're moving through the process, you know, you go when you're dealing at, at, at the beginning of the, of the scouting process and that player might be 16, you don't know the players. You don't know the player pool. But what becomes obvious, and I say this to young players all the time, just do the things you're really good at. You'll find the scouts' eyes. Don't worry about the scouts finding you. You will find <laughs> the eyes. Trust me on that because the good players always do. So as, as you move through the process and you're going through and you're watching, well, now you're there's two things that happen. You're, you're watching progress and you're trying to see how a player handles a different situation. So you're watching all those areas. Okay, how does he handle this? You know, you're scheduling a game at, at a certain point in time because you know that team's going to give that player a hard time. It's not just a game. It's a it's about, okay, what type of evaluation are we trying to get out of this game, right? And then you're also trying to, at, at a point in time, as you, as, you get, as you get closer to the draft and evaluation, you're now comparing those players with another group of players because you have an idea of where you're picking, right? So you're becoming more zeroed in, okay, this player does this really well compared to this other player we like, and that player does this a little bit better. And, and you're using it all in, in, with respect to the evaluation in the game in all those different areas, you know? What happens when he's faced with resistance? How, 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 does he solve problems? And it sounds funny, but like you got to solve those. When a, when a defenseman stops you and, you know, it continually stops you, how, how does the player figure it out? Because it's only going to become that much more difficult once you get to the NHL and you're playing against NHL quality defensemen. Back to Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes said last summer after his rookie year, he said, my speed was always something that opened up ice for me. And he said, I could always get to areas and get that little bit of space and time that, that allowed me to excel. He goes, but the NHL defensemen, they all can skate and they all can close <laughs> your space, right? And we talk about learning, right? And, and Jack's a student in the game. I mean, he's a yeah. brilliant mind in the game. But like understanding where he's at, right? And all those things. So when you're evaluating players, like you're trying to set up scenarios, like okay, how does he handle that? How does he handle a real competitive type game, right? Like, you know, is, is he patient? Does he force things? And, you know, and, and you're not just watching it in that particular game. You're building what I call data points. You're taking a data point from one and you're trying to build a progression as I you're building the dossier on the player and you're and you are trying to check boxes, Matt. You're trying to check boxes in your own level of confidence on that player. Yep. I'm, I'm sure of that that's a that's a check. Right. And that's a check. Right. And, and and you're checking them against the other players, you know, his other comparable players in that range of the draft. I mean, you should never be comparing a top five. If you're picking 25, you shouldn't be looking at a player at 25 and trying to compare them to, to, to players that are going to go in the top five. 
going to be comparing them in terms of the evaluation process with players you're considering at that point in time. So how hard do you think building those dossiers have been this particular year with so many leagues going through so many different things, the OHL not playing at all, you know, players losing an entire year in that regard, sometimes going to different teams or overseas. How did that challenge, first of all, the scouts and maybe those players as well? Well, it's a very challenging time. And you know, one of the big things is, and uh, we can all relate now, Amanda, because you're so much younger than Matt and I, (laughs) you you can remember it a lot better. But but, but I'll give you an example. Like, think about going from your junior year in high school to your senior year in high school. And, yeah. and, and you think about the confidence you gain and you think about how much more comfortable uh, yeah. you're becoming with your decisions and what you want to do and everything, right? It's no different for a hockey player. And, and, and that progress that you want to be able to go through, number one, as a player to, to, to measure yourself, but also for teams to be able to measure, you know, that progress, right? It was absent. It, yeah. Maybe not fully absent. But it was in it was in pieces and it was in stretches and not for over. So you look at March of 2020 and watching players and then being able to watch them in May and and then August and September and January. The data points you were talking about, right? But but being able to assess that progress and say, geez, you know what, that's uh, that that player's really taking on those things. It's been missed. The, the players haven't been able to, to take those data points and use it for their own development. They're trying to tap into other areas. They work exceptionally hard. There's no question about that. But when you're competing and, and you're you're testing yourself against the best competition, you know, whether it be in the playoffs, whether it be the NCAA uh, college and, and the NCAA colleges had that Europe, you know, international tournaments, it, it was lacking. And so for the NHL teams, they haven't had a chance to really track that progress. If there's any upside to it, is that every team's dealing with exactly the same scenario, right? But it's hard. It's hard because those are real significant times where a lot of growth can occur, occur, not only in your personal life, but in your athletic life in, in, in those stretches of time. And it could be three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. But yeah. lots, lots progresses in, in, in that time period at that age uh, for for people, for young people, and certainly for the hockey players. So it, it, it is something that is, is a significant challenge for the NHL teams. And, and the players have felt it, too, because one of the things I love about the players, and they do it at a young age, and athletes do it, they sacrifice a lot of things to achieve these wonderful yeah. dreams and goals that they have. And they just want to be able to try to be able to, to do what they love and what they've sacrificed doing. So, you know, the players have uh, have felt that impact as well. And, you know, they still work hard, but, you know, there's a little bit of uncertainty. It's, it's like waiting for that, uh, uh, you know, you haven't been able to write your last test, but you, you know you're a good student. Still coming, though. Right, right. And, and, and it might come, but you're still waiting to see about your acceptance to college, right? And you're, you're not really sure, right? But yeah. and, and that confidence, not only from a player point of view, isn't as strong as they'd like it to be, but from a team point of view. We're going to dive into some of the players and, and get your opinion on how things might shake out. Again, we're recording this on June 17th. So uh, depending on when it's dropped, uh, there could be some more <laughs> bits of information that come out. 
so is it definite? Is, is Owen Power unquestionably the world championships just push him without a doubt into the number one category? And is that who Buffalo is going to take? Yeah, well, I can't speak for Buffalo, but in my mind, Matt, he, he's the best player in this draft. And for me, I, you know, you go to the world championship, so it's a level closer to the NHL. And what you're watching foreign players is their ability to master the different levels. Owen did absolutely that. I left the U18 tournament in Dallas uh, in the first week of May. And it was at that point in time that I was clear in my mind that he was the best player in the draft. And people, well, people said to me, well, Owen wasn't there. I know he wasn't there, but a lot of other players <laughs> that, that I'd watched and watched for a period of time were there, which gave me an assessment of them. And, and that's why I left there. You know, Matt Beneers wasn't there either, but I became really clear on Matt Beneers too, leaving the U18 tournament because I'd had an opportunity to watch those players, you know, Kent Johnson, William Eklund, you know, the, the players that are born uh, in, in uh, late uh, 02 that uh, weren't eligible for the 03. I know, Amanda. See, yeah, I was like, oh my God. You're going to reach a point where Matt I know, I'm it starting happens. to feel. <laughs> it happens, Amanda. It happens. That's all I'll say. So, so that's what, yeah. So with Owen, and I've watched Owen since he was 15 years of age, and, you know, we talk about progression. I, I've been lucky because th th there's an example of a player. I've had all those data points. I've had all those data points all the way through to being able to watch him. I think what the world championship did was not only give Owen uh, the opportunity to really showcase to a wider audience and a bigger audience, how good he is, but it also gives uh, teams, Buffalo Sabres, Seattle Kraken, New Jersey Devils, Anaheim Ducks, a real confidence that this player is an NHL quality, quality uh, prospect. And I think that that's, that's where you find yourself at this point in time. That's certainly where I find myself. How would you describe this year's draft in terms of, uh, is it, I mean, it, there was a time that it was defenseman oriented and it still is to a large degree, but now you mentioned Eklund, you mentioned Beniers. Uh, it seems that it's not quite, and who knows, it might even be a goalie sneaking into the, top 10 or top mm -hmm. eight who knows but it seems that it's changed a little bit it's not just so defensive oriented or, or maybe i'm just misreading the tea leaves well i think at the top of the draft it's you know you like i mean for me i've put those four defensemen owen power simon edmondson brant clark and luke hughes all, all on a category you know the, the I, I think as defensemen at this point in time in my view they've they put themselves in a separate category and, and it is does that mean that they're all better than eckland or veneers no but you know i think that they have put themselves and then after that I, what i see is, is is a lot of different types of forwards really good forwards Forwards like like a Beniers, who's who, who to me is a complete player. He, I've used Bo Horvat as an example a a type. I've heard people that I respect say, you know, he plays the game a lot like Jonathan Taze. Okay, well, <laughs> who doesn't want a Jonathan Taze type, right? You know, William Eklund, who's a dynamic player. You know, you watch Sebastian Ajo play in Carolina, and you, you start to think like William Eklund could he be Sebastian Ajo? Right. Well, those are really good players. And Dylan Gunther and Mason McTavish and Matthew Coronado, who, again, like he, there was another player watching him over the last couple of years. And then with the Chicago Steel this year, I, he was another player leaving the U18 tournament. Like I didn't need much convincing on Matthew Coronado, but after leaving the U18, I was like, this guy's good. Right. So 
there's some really good, and there are different types of forwards and there are different types of players. That, but I, I see them all as real top end guys. Like when I say top end, they're going to play significant roles on your team. And Jesper Wallstead, who I think is a really good goaltender, and you mentioned him, Matt, you know, I've had some comments. Well, goaltender, like, you know, you're, you know, taking them, it takes them longer to develop. I believe that Jesper Wallstead's development timeline is equal to any player you'll draft at six or eight or nine or 12. I think he's advanced. Now, are all goaltenders advanced? No, but neither are all forwards and all defensemen. So I put him in that group of players that I think like his timeline is very, is very similar in my view. So the draft, and, and I'm always, we know you mentioned it at the outset. Players taken later in the draft, players taken later in the first round, emerging and whatnot. This draft has lots of quality. I've seen lots of quality in the draft. And inevitably, we get we get caught up, and I say this collectively, a draft gets defined by the high end. If there's a high-end mm-hmm. player, oh, it's a great draft. Yeah. Well, okay, so there's just because there's one or two really good players at the top, that means the draft is great. Well, you go back and look at drafts. There's lots of players that come from different parts of the first round that are stars, stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, Miko Rantanen is going to be an NHL all-star this year. He was the 10th overall pick. Right? Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you know, Matt Barzell, you know, Kyle Connor. I mean, we, and, and, I mean, we can go on and on and on. I'm not even mentioning Kucherov or Point or those guys. I'm just mentioning the first round guys. Vasilevsky was the 19th pick. <laughs> Like, can't take a goal. <laughs> well, yeah. can't Don't take a goal in the first round. <laughs> I mean, Marty Berdur, there's a statue uh, of him outside the building. So, you know, don't, don't, don't take those guys. I mean, they're only really important. Carey Price, fifth. Like, yeah. so I think there's real quality. And will the quality show up in two years? Probably not. But I think when you look three years down the road, you're going to look back at this draft and see the team's got some really, really good players. You mentioned it a little bit, but where do you sort of see the draft breaking off in terms of the tiers of talent that exist? And sort of where does New Jersey fit in that with that fourth overall pick? I think it comes at pick 67. Really? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, that's very... Uh, that is a detailed... Yeah, that uh, is. That's a detailed list for well, sure. Uh, so, so, so we, you know, we, we talk about tiers, and here's the way I feel about tiers, okay? Tiers are basically based on your own assessments. Fair, yeah. Whether it be a sense. team, whether it be a team assessment, whether it be uh, an individual assessment, right? So you're basing it go, okay, these are my top five guys. And so the tier is yeah. at five. Well, somebody might say, well, no, it's at nine. Well, I also know this is that one team's top five is different than another. Different than the five, other team. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so so how do we really how do we really look at the tiers? And 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 I think it's worth examining. I think it's it's a it's an important question to ask and to try to understand. But I also think we need to examine it too, and and what it means, right? So mm-hmm. what, what we, we go back, the 16th pick in the 2015 draft was Matt Barzell. The 17th pick was Kyle Connor, and the 18th pick was Thomas Shabbat, right? So depending on where you had those guys rated, you, you, if you had Mark, That's Matt Barzell, yeah. right? So, and, and, and I'm not trying to pile on here, but, but the Boston Bruins at 13 took Jakob Zaboro. At 14, they took Jake DeBrusque. And at 15, they took Zach Sinitian. Okay. Three in a row. 
And if you look at the three they took and the three that went right after them, right? For the Boston Bruins, the tier, like they had those guys tiered ahead of those other guys. It's yeah, it's a it's a good point. It's a really the good tears point. are coming from the corner of their eyes. Really <laughs> yeah. That's the tears right now. Different kind of tears as, as they look back for sure. That is Matt. I will give you full credit for <laughs> that. That was really good. Use that. I am Feel using free. that. That is brilliant. No attribution necessary. Uh, it's yeah. yours. No, no. Uh, I, I give recognition where recognition is due. But like, so, so that's where I see it, right? Like, and and you know, the other thing we get into is best player available. I, I wish I could tell you who the best player available was. I wish I could tell you that the first player was better than the second player who's yeah. better than the third all the way down the line. And if I could do that, I'd be making so much money and uh, you wouldn't know I'd be anonymous because somebody would keep me hidden away because I'd be able to do that. Right. So, but it, it, you're trying to evaluate players and every player is different. Let, let's just go back to last year's draft for the New Jersey devils. So you're, you're, you're picking at seven. Right. And so Alexander Holtz is a really good player, but you start to look at who's available there. Is Marco Rossi a good player? Yeah. Is Cole Perfetti a good player? Yeah. Is Jack Quinn a good player? Yeah. Is Yaroslav Askarov a good They're all good players. But, you know, the New Jersey Devils have to get to a point to go, okay, we got two centers here that we really believe in yeah. Jack Hughes and Hisher, right? Okay. What, what could really work well with that? Right. It doesn't mean that Marco Rossi isn't a good player, but you, in my view, this is me, Tommy or anybody hasn't told me this, but I don't think they needed another center. They needed somebody that could complement Jack and Nico, right? So, yeah. so was he the best player available at that point in time for the New Jersey Devils? He was because it's assessment of your own team and not just the overall draft. So when I talk about the, like, I'm going to mention a name here and you know, I, I, I've actually watched him play since he was 15, ironically. And, and it's only by, it's not on purpose that I could watch him play. It was just more by fluke because of watching the USHL Fall Classic and they have major players there. And he didn't get drafted last year. And I thought he would be a really good pick somewhere later in the, in the draft because I really thought he had potential. And it's Shane Doan's son, Josh. Josh, to me, in my view, is a top 40 player. Mm-hmm. Now I see where he's ranked by central scouting and everything. I see vis-a-vis some of his. And one of the things I've done when you've asked me this question is try to evaluate those players, a Josh versus some of the other players. And I, I can't, I, I continuously come back to, I can't make a case for those, for a lot of those players over Josh Dome. And yet I, well, he went through a draft. That's okay. Like, yeah. it just means he might not have been as ready to show what he was capable of. You know, when I, first saw him play in Pittsburgh at that USHL fall classic with the midget his son was there Joe Neuendijk's son was there Scott Niedermann and I just happened to be over there because I know those guys and so now I'm watching their kids and he was small he was thin he he couldn't do the things he does now but now you're looking at somebody that's 19 years old and just blossoming blossoming and so that's just one name that I talk about that I think has a chance to be a really good player a really really good player so I don't know where he fits in other people's equation. I'm not saying that he's in the top 10 because I don't feel that, but I think he's a good player. And I, I think the teams are publicly, we're looking at the overall picture. Teams yeah. have to be a lot more narrow 
and who is the best player for their team that they feel can not only have a good NHL career, but also help contribute to what their team is trying to do. Last couple, and we'll and we'll let you go. And we do appreciate the time. So you mentioned the four defensemen. Devils pick fourth. Power, you believe, is the best player in this draft. So let's assume Buffalo takes him. So that leaves Seattle, Anaheim before the Devils. Seems to me, math has never been a strong suit. There'll be a defenseman there for the Devils to take, even if Seattle and Anaheim go with defense as opposed to a forward. Good for you, Matt. You passed there we your go. math Listen, class. You know what? I, I work hard at the basics. But at any rate, uh, so uh, do you think that's where the Devils will go? And will it come down to a loop? use Brant Clark situation for the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you know, that's where that that's where I think the possibility exists. I really do. And uh, you know, again, so now I'm going to look at it and and you know, Anaheim, I, I think Bob Murray's been pretty clear that he wants to draft a skilled forward. I, I he said that publicly unless he's really really trying to uh, lead people astray or maybe just try to, you know, I I don't know, but but I'm going to take him at his word. Right. Seattle Kraken, they're interesting. You know, where could they go? They can go forward. They can go defense. I mean, you can't really say, you know, they're a what team they mean. trying to build. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just trying to build. Right. So they just got to find the player. So by, by my math and your math, that, that leaves potentially two defensemen to choose from there. Right. And, you know, so so now you try to look at it from the New Jersey Devils point of view. I, I love Luke Hughes. I think Luke Hughes is a, is a terrific young player. But I think Brad Clark's a better player. And I and I look at the left side and I look at Ty Smith and I look at Kevin Ball and I look at uh, Shakir Madulin. And, you know, so now you got these players that are all different, that all add different elements that I think are important elements to a team. And now I look at the other side and I think Brent Clark, when I see the way he plays the game and the way he approaches the game and the dynamic qualities he has in the game, I, I think he just becomes, and, and from me looking from the outside in, such a beautiful fit for this team. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's not a, a criticism against Simon Edmondson or against Luke Hughes. It's just that I, I like Brant Clark more than those two guys. Don't get me wrong. But not by much. I mean, we're talking razor thin here. Yeah. But I think for the New Jersey Devils, you know, that's where the equation is. I think they got some really good forwards. They got some really good forwards. I, I think that that's obvious. And they're going to have an opportunity here to, to, to build their team. I mean, Mackenzie Blackwood now has, has established himself as a, as a bona fide number one goaltender in the league, right? The defense is coming together. The forwards, you know, you got Nico and, and Jack, 20 and 21 respectively. So they're moving into a category where, you know, they're ready to, to take on more of the game. And you, you add skill around them. I, I, I think it only gets better uh you know for their team but does that does that preclude them from drafting a forward no but i think what brant clark does and 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 if you make the decision on luke hughes nothing wrong there simon edmondson nothing wrong there but the quality of brant clark the ability to drive offense and to to really i call him a bold player he reminds me so much of uh eric carlson brent burns the way they play the game and that's the way Brant plays. And I, you know, and he's also the brother of a, of a current Devils. He is. So. <laughs> Two brother contingencies. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah. we don't have to play the brother card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Graham's a great kid too, his yeah. brother. Um, so 
when we're talking about this draft, this is sort of the last one from me because I find that the Devils are in a very unique situation where they're the youngest team in the league. So, oh, and you you mentioned it a little bit there, but a lot of the players that they're going to be drafting, whether it's last year or this year, will probably be on the team with some of those current guys that we mentioned and Jack and Nico and Jesper, uh, Jesper Bratt. So it's almost really interesting to see how they're drafting players, even more so than maybe a team that's going through a full transformation, right? Because they're bringing in players through the draft who will potentially be part of what they are, what is currently on that roster. Yeah, I don't. And, and I think that it's, it, it's been building for a number of years now. Yeah. It starts with Nico Hischer back in 2017, right? So he, he's moving forward and, 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 and moving in, in, in a direction in his game. Well, for Tommy Fitzgerald, and I have, I have great respect for Tommy. And if you go and Tommy was in Pittsburgh before that Nashville, but as a player yeah. and he understands you know, the importance of lending support, having support in place for the younger players. And I, I would give you no better example. And it's, it's different from New Jersey than it was. But if you go back and look, they had Crosby, they had Malkin, they had Latang, they had Fleury, they had those good young players that they were building with. And who did they bring in? They brought in Bill Guerin and they brought in Chris Kunitz, Right. And Tommy understands that exceptionally well about, you know, the young players are, are, are our core. The young players are going to be real significant to it, but they're going to need support along the lines. So I, I, I don't think it's just the draft that's important for them. They can be at, adding players is always important. Making sure that you have a pipeline and cupboards that are well stocked is important. But you also don't want those young players to be extended beyond their capabilities of where they presently stand. And I think that that's something to watch for too with the Devils as well. You know, how Tom, you know, supports those younger players, you know, so that, you know, the the older players or experienced players they may bring in are going to come in and still be capable. But the younger players are not going to be, have to do more. Yeah. And, and, and I think Over that's where you find that. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good word. And I think that that's where the devils can really take. I mean, when you have a goaltender like Mackenzie Blackwood, you're in good shape because that's, that's a big check mark. That yeah. is. Now you look at the blue line and, and you can see, you can just see such a well-balanced group developing. And then up front, when you got two centers in my view, like Nico and Jack, I mean, those are two significant players. That, that can really drive a lot of play. Alexander Holtz, I'll be shocked if he's not in the lineup next year for the New Jersey Devils. He's that good. He's that mature. And I think playing him with one of those two centermen is only going to allow him to be uh, th- that much more capable of producing early on in his NHL career. But, you know, he, he he's good enough. And, you know, the, the players are going to continue, continue to add. Tommy understands team building. And uh, I firmly believe that. And I, uh, you've heard me say this before. I think the New Jersey Devils are in great hands with Tom, Tom Fitzgerald at the helm. Well, Craig, that is music to Devils <laughs> fans' ears, not only about the capable hands they find themselves in, but what the future looks like with uh, the players that they've drafted recently and uh, what we all hope comes together really soon. Thanks so much for your time. And we look forward to the draft. Not just the first round, which is what a lot of our <laughs> coaches here, but you get good players who will 
crop up in all rounds. So uh, that's what makes this draft so interesting. All drafts interesting. Uh, but as you said, this one particularly a lot of quality. Thanks again so much for your time. You know what? It's always my pleasure to join both of you. It really is. And the only thing better is to do it in person. And I look forward to that time. Soon, hopefully. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. Congrats on the new house, honey. What's this? Carbon monoxide detectors? Yeah, but one on every level. Because you can't see or smell carbon monoxide. And when fuel-burning appliances aren't working right, CO can build up and be deadly. Guys, I'm on it. We just want to know you're safe. At PSENG, we're committed to your family's safety. Know how to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. If your CO detector goes off, leave immediately. Then call 911. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSEG.com slash gas safety. Well, from an incredible memory as he went down. It's insane. The, the, the one <laughs> draft year where Medano went number one and he was all the way down to 10. Good for Craig and, and the ability to do that. But all the other insights he gave us on the need for patience and the quality of this draft and where it might go at the top, but what it might look like three years down the road. Terrific again insights and we do appreciate his time so very very much he's someone who i text with often during the hockey season whether it's um a player on the devil especially the younger guys who are having a good game he might send me a message being like look out for this look what they're doing here and vice versa and so i know he's very and he mentioned it you know he's very high on what tom fitzgerald is building and watching it all come to fruition so he's really a guy that uh you can tap into for just about everything and uh it was really a pleasure to get to know him. And I'm so glad, Matt, that you started with, you know, his roots in the sport, mm. because I did know about his dad and I knew about central scouting, but to hear about like the computer program that he, <laughs> you know, essentially randomly felt like they were going to build uh, at school and stuff like that. That's, it's really fascinating. It really is. I'm glad that, that that's where we, st- we kick things off. Yeah, no, uh, as I said earlier, a man who spent his entire life in the Literally. sport, seemingly, <laughs> even though he had other thoughts coming out of college, <laughs> as he told us, but the sport pulled him right back in. And so we'll see what happens as the, uh, the Devils and the entire NHL moves closer to the first round. Uh, I'm sure there are some listeners who perked up when he said, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is a shade separating them, but given need on the right side, he thinks Brant Clark could be the guy that they select uh, in the fourth pick. I know there are a lot of Hughes fans (laughs) who hope that the brothers are united, but at any rate, that's what makes it so interesting. We'll see what Tom Fitzgerald and company decide to do. It will be, you know what, no matter what, Every single year, that's what we can always say. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Because look at last year. Hey. Shakir Mukamadulin, right? I could not even say that name. I didn't even know that name existed. <laughs> and now he's on the radar and on the horizon. Exactly. And you don't know whether you'll get, uh, uh, as we did in 17 and 19, with the first overall picks at Nico Heischer yep. and at Jack Hughes, picks that were not really a surprise. But then where did... Jesper Brad come from deeper in the draft. Yeah. Where did Yegor Sharangovich come from deeper in the draft? Mikhail Maltsev deeper in the draft. And so that's why it's not just Friday. It's not just the first round. It's what happens after that. The Devils have picks as we speak in all of those rounds, including two in the first. And we're looking forward to see what the uh, draft holds for the Devils. Of course, great coverage on NJ.TV and on NewJerseyDevils.com as we make our way to the draft and on draft night, there'll be excellent coverage as usual. So that will wrap things up, Amanda. 
Uh, always a pleasure. Lots of fun speaking with Craig Button today. And always a pleasure speaking with you, Maddie. And a special thanks to our producer, Andrew McLean. Thank you very much, all you listeners. We appreciate your company. Until the next time, be safe, be well. You've been listening to Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. We'll see you next time.